Good afternoon, I'm Charles Lee, and this is the Grok Science Show. Coming up on today's program, we'll be talking with Greg Stebbin will join us. He will talk about hazardous hospitals. So you'll want to stay tuned for all that, plus the Grokatron 5000 is coming right up here on the Grok Science Show. Stay tuned, we'll be right back. should be an improvement in our condition. But depending on the hospital, such a visit could be hazardous to your health. Well, how do we prevent a hospital visit from turning tragic? Join us today to discuss this issue is Mr. Greg Stebbin. Mr. Stebbin is an editor at Men's Health Magazine. He recently featured an article discussing the potential hazards at hospitals and what everyone can do to uh, prevent these situations from arising. Uh, Mr. Stebbin, thank you very much for joining us today on the Crocs Science Show. It's great to be here. Thank you. How big a problem is problems arising at the hospital like this? Well, it's a, it's a really big problem, and, and if you're not concerned about it, frankly, you probably should be. I mean, let me put this into perspective. Uh, as we report on this issue of men's health, about 98,000 Americans die every year as a result of medical mistakes. That's a lot of people. Is that a big percentage of the people that go in for uh, serious conditions, or is it? Well, I mean, I have to I have to be honest. I don't know what percentage that is of people who are hospitalized, but whether it's 10%, 20%, or 3%, 98,000 people lost a loved one because something bad happened. And that, you know, it's one thing if you go in the hospital and you die of the thing that puts you there. It's something completely different if you die of something completely unrelated because a process or a human error caused it. And it's, that's a very serious problem. Well, what are the sort of common causes for uh, these sorts of mistakes? Is it uh, the typical stories that you hear of, you know, the wrong limb getting cut off? or? Um, or uh, <laughs> yes, uh, sometimes wrong limbs do get cut off. Uh, I'll tell you one of the very common things is people are sometimes given meds that are not for them. Perhaps they're for another uh, another patient, and there's a misidentification. The hospital staff thinks uh, you're patient X when you're actually patient Y. There are cases where surgeries are done and you didn't need the surgery, which would mean that the surgery you did need didn't get done. That could cause you to pass away because you didn't get the care you needed and instead got treatment for something that wasn't a problem. I mean, as you can imagine, even thinking about a hospital situation, there's lots of things that can go wrong. And, and to be fair here, here at Men's Health, our goal with the story is not to point fingers at medical staff, doctors and nurses and such, and, and say they're bad people or careless or anything like that. You know, the reality is it's more a point that in hospitals, like in many other workplaces, people are asked to do more and more with less and less staff. And so these are largely accidental deaths because processes are flawed or people are simply put in a position where they have to do too much work than any one person can do accurately. So really a, a fault of kind of the overworked way that uh, medicine is structured right now. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and in fact, one of the places where you find a lot of these problems happening is in the emergency room. We spend a lot of time in this article talking about things in particular that you should do in an emergency room to protect yourself. And, you know, in some ways what we're really suggesting in this article is a principle that you hear applied in other places that you don't normally think apply to your health care as well. The principle is caveat emptor, let the buyer beware. Even in a medical setting, even in a hospital, you're still a buyer, you're still a consumer, and you should be as careful there about what you're getting in exchange for your money or your health care dollars as you should be anywhere else. That includes, for instance, uh, we suggest that anytime in an emergency room or even while under longer-term care in a hospital, anytime someone like a nurse approaches you to give you medication, you should, assuming you're not asleep, uh, you should question, who is that medication for? Why am I being given this medication? What is that medication? You should become as familiar as you can with the treatment that you're having so that you can help medical staff avoid making mistakes. We think a lot of the responsibility here can fall on the patient and or family and friends who are around. You could say, yeah, well, maybe I shouldn't have to do that. Okay, but if there are that many errors being made, whether you should have to do it or not, it would be smart to do it, and that's what we're encouraging people to do. It is interesting that most people who oftentimes are savvy consumers in the regards to their health oftentimes just give away all sorts of responsibilities to the doctors. Here you're just saying really should take a control of, uh, of their own health. Yeah, and that's really, that's really the point, and it's, it's a very dangerous thing to do. It's understandable. You know, the human body is very complicated. We know that doctors and nurses and other health care staff go to school for years to be qualified to give the health care that they do. And I think that we've had a previous generation of people that really was kind of the normal social way of regarding a doctor was he's a doctor or she's a doctor, almost like a godlike status and I should treat them that way. We're not saying you should give doctors and other healthcare professionals any less respect. We're really just saying, and almost to use your words, don't give them so much respect that you give them all responsibility as well. You can respect them and still question them. And frankly, no one in the healthcare profession wants to do you wrong or make a mistake. So if you real reveal a mistake, mistake they're about to make because you're diligent, um, I think no one would be more thrilled than that healthcare professional. Almost certainly, and could save you a limb, right? Uh, or your life. Yeah, right. Yes, absolutely. You talk about a lot of different tips, what people should do in terms of trying to make sure that their care is as fault-free as possible. I wonder if you maybe go through some of these. Sure. So, you know, going back to the whole idea of applying the principle of caveat emptor to your health care and to hospital needs, you know, one of the things you can do right now, today, and I mean literally today or right now, is go to the CDC website, the Centers for Disease Control. Go to cdc.gov slash trauma care. I'll say that again, cdc.gov slash trauma care. And when you get there, plug in the names of your nearby hospitals. When you do that, you will actually find out which hospital closest to you will give you the highest level or highest rated level of care in the event of an emergency or trauma. Listen, Find out where that hospital is now. Memorize which one it is. So in the event that you or another family member suffers some kind of serious trauma, a heart attack or something else, 
That's the wrong time to go looking at the CDC website to find out the best place to go. You want to be able to bark this out as a matter of habit so that if it's an ambulance or you're in a friend's car or what have you, you can just say, take me to blankety blank. Who cares if it's a mile or two further away? If that's where you're going to get the best care and you can get there, that's where you want to go. But you've got to know that's the place that will give you the best care, and the CDC has made it easy for you to find that out. Mm. And being at a place that's level one greatly increases your chance of surviving these sorts of things, right? Well, I, I, absolutely. In fact, uh, as we say in this in this article, according to the CDC, receiving care at a level one center lowers your risk of death by 25% over facilities that aren't similarly equipped or graded for trauma care. I mean, it, it could make a huge difference for you. Now, look, if you're in a situation where you just have to go to the closest hospital, that's what you've got to do. But given a choice and the ability to make a choice, knowing the best place to go and being able to get there could be the difference between life or death. Uh, another important uh, thing that one should look on is uh, the infection rates at hospitals. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we've heard more and more over the last five or ten years about the danger of infection, getting an infection in the hospital. You know, this is another example of, I went in for one thing and I left with a horrible infection. Well, look, the hospitals are where infections live. It shouldn't be a surprise that they can potentially breed there. Well, again, you can actually find out what the infection rate of your local hospital is. And here's what you want to ask. Ask the doctor or the hospital staff, you know, what is your rate of central line infection? What that's all about is the way that you get an IV, IV in the hospital. Um, there's two ways they can do it, and the one that has the greatest risk of infection is called an inline. So if you know the rate of central line infection and you know it's low, then that's a lot better than being in a place that seems to have problems with infection. That is a place that you would want to avoid. Again, good things to know beforehand, so you're not you're not surprised. Uh, that, by that's absolutely right. But even in the case of you know you know you're going into the hospital, let's say for elective surgery or or something else where you have a little bit of advance notice, this is just one of the kinds of things that you want to think about because unless it's an emergency, you probably do have a choice about what hospital you're going to. Um, these might even be questions you ask the doctor before you go to the hospital. You want to make sure you're going to get the best and the safest care that's possible. If you're going in for a, a major procedure, you probably want to check on the doctor's success rate. A very important point here, and I'll tell you why. There's been studies done on this, and this shouldn't come as a surprise to any of us, because we've all done things for the first time and done them awkwardly or clumsily, and as we did them more and more, we got better. I mean, it's true if you play tennis. It's true if you play the guitar. It's true if you cook. And guess what? It's also true for surgeons. So, for instance, if you take gallbladder operations, research shows that it takes a doctor about 50 gallbladder surgeries before he or she is really good at it. You could probably assume that the same basic law would apply to other forms of surgery. Some surgeries are probably more intricate and require even more practice, so to speak. So why wouldn't you, if you were getting your gallbladder out or some other form of surgery, say to the doctor in a respectful way, hey, how many of these have you done? If the answer is five, might want to get a second opinion. If the answer is 500, you might feel really good about that.
In that regard, it seems like a lot of people go overseas for operations just because even though the conditions might not be as sterile, doctors there oftentimes have more experience just because they've done more procedures. You know, the the whole idea of term for this, medical tourism is the ter- term. It's a very, very interesting phenomenon. Uh, you have doctors who are repeatedly doing the same op surgeries or other procedures over and over again overseas. A lot of people go overseas because of cost. A lot of people go overseas because, frankly, there's some things that you can't get done here in the U.S. They have not been approved, or you can't get them done and have them covered by your insurance, yet having them done here in the U.S. would be cost prohibitive where you can get the surgery done by a doctor in another country at a price that might be affordable to you because you have to bear the cost since your insurance company won't. It's not that going overseas to have this kind of procedure done is a bad idea, but again, the principle of caveat emptor applies. You want to be sure that you're going to a facility that's clean, a doctor who's qualified, a staff that is experienced. I mean, if you think it's important to check out your hospital here in the United States where we have things like the CDC and and lots of other government agencies and even agencies outside of the government like the, the you know the American Medical Association and things, we have governing bodies here. You want to make sure that there are some kind of sufficient checks and balances before you go overseas for a surgery as well because things happen. Even the best doctors have problems and complications, and not only do you want to make sure that you're being seen and treated by the best doctor when you're overseas, but if something goes wrong, you want to make sure that there's also facilities there that are equipped to take care of you and to nurse you back in health as a result of, of some kind of unforeseen circumstance. So really, again, it's just becoming more knowledgeable about uh, the options that are out there. Absolutely. And, and you know, frankly, one of the greatest things at our disposal today when it comes to our, our taking care of our health and our own personal health care and the health care of our families is this thing called the Internet. There is so much information available today from rankings like the CDC's rankings to Yelp-like ratings, you know, other people saying, my experience with this doctor or this facility was great or my experience was awful. You know, being able to connect with people that have had the same procedure, the same procedure done at the same place you're considering it. It's crazy not to take advantage of those kinds of things. It's there sitting on your desk or your table or your phone or your iPad. Uh, All you have to do is invest the time to look and find out. And taking care of your health is serious business. Another important point is just really ask questions about everything. Yeah, absolutely. This really is essential. And it's the easiest thing in the world to do once you get over the fear of asking. You know, you mentioned how sometimes people are almost uh, give away responsibility to healthcare professionals. And you can continue to be respectful while still asking questions, questioning everything. And I'll give you a exa- couple of examples of where this is really important. For instance, you go into the emergency room, they put a wristband on you. What if they put the wrong wristband on you? What if you're in for a broken ankle? and you get the wristband of a guy who came in with a heart attack. The treatment you're going to get for your ankle is going to go to a guy with a heart attack, and your ankle's not going to get treated, but you're going to get resuscitated or something. And it sounds crazy, but it happens. It happens all the time. I'll give you a real-world example. Sometimes hospitals use separate bands to signal to healthcare workers separate things. For instance, a hospital a few years ago was using a yellow band in the emergency room to signify CPR preference. Well, here was the problem. 
If you came into the emergency room wearing one of those yellow Lance Armstrong Life Strong bands, you might not get resuscitated if you needed it because they'd look at it and think he doesn't want resuscitation, he wants to die. And the odds of that happening to you, okay, maybe they're pretty slim. That's a kind of a filtering set of circumstances. But you know what? If it was you that it happened to, or your father, or your mother, or your brother, you'd be devastated and realize how foolish it was not to have checked the armband to make sure it was correct. You know, you can also, uh, when they come around with medicine, I met, I mentioned, you know, whether you're in the emergency room or, or, or an inpatient, what is this medication? You should have some familiarity with what it is you're being given by your doctor or what it is your family member or friend is getting. Who is it for? Make sure it's for the right person. Make sure it's for you. Why am I getting this? Make them tell you what condition it's for. Because if you're in having knee surgery and they discover they're about to give you something for your heart, clearly there's a mistake there, and you want to stop it before you swallow the pill. Indeed, indeed. One final little uh, fun point. Uh, say, carry a felt tip pen with you. <laughs> yes. This is a crazy thing, but, boy, it's the cheapest good health care advice you'll ever get. Let's say you're going in for knee surgery. Uh, our advice is on one knee, write with a Sharpie or a felt tip pen, cut here. On the other knee, don't cut here. I mean, seriously, <laughs> lots of people have come out of a hospital or come out of anesthesia having had surgery on the wrong knee or the wrong hip or, or what have you. You can help by this very simple low-tech solution. Make it very clear to everyone in the operating room that this is the right knee or the right arm or the right shoulder or the right hip, and this is the wrong one. Mark them both. Make it as easy as possible for this group of people to do the best job they can. Well, it seems like fun, simple advice, and really it's just uh, take responsibility for your own health care. Absolutely. And, and, you know, a lot of it is common sense, but particularly when it comes to our health and, and situations that involve hospitals and doctors and emergencies, sometimes common sense is the first thing to go out of the room because we're upset and panicked. All right. Uh, well, Mr. Seven, I want to thank you very much for joining us today, uh, talking about how to uh, prevent uh, any kind of hazards in hospitals. It's great to be here. Thank you. And you're just listening to Professor Greg Stebbin talking hazardous hospitals. This is the Grox Science Show. Stay tuned. We'll be right back.
right, uh, here we go. It's uh, time to play the game, the Grokatron 5000. It's our supercomputer, formerly known as Deep Blue. Today's topic, called Critical or Stable. So for the falling five individuals, the Grokatron 5000 would like to know if you would rate them as being critical or in stable condition, and uh, maybe a little reason why. Are you ready to play the game? Absolutely. All right, here we go. Person number one in critical or stable condition, it's Mel Gibson. Mm. <laughs> Are we talking about his career here? It's however you wish to interpret this question. <laughs> <laughs> well, I saw some reference to Jodie Foster being interviewed and not wanting to talk about her friend Mel Gibson. So I'm going to say career-wise, he, he must be in critical condition. Yeah, I might, might need to check on uh, Lifeline there for that. All right, number two, Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs. Well, you know what? I'm voting for not just stable. I'm voting for excellent health. Giving a keynote speech at the Apple Worldwide Developers Conference. I know that was very unexpected since he's taken a leave of absence because of his health. I hope, uh, I think this is a guy who's contributed a heck of a lot to the world and the world of technology. I hope he looks great and is in excellent health. Uh, I think all the Apple fans out there would probably have to agree. I would hope even the Windows fans would be rooting <laughs> for him. He's entertaining, so. He certainly is. All right, number three, Dr. Phil. Uh huh. Stable. Because. <laughs> If Dr. Phil was in critical condition and he couldn't take care of himself, that would be a really sad thing. <laughs> How come there's no women? Well, I'll do an on-the-fly substitution here in a second. Uh, but number four, LeBron James. Stable. And why? Uh, That's or, my sense. Okay. Uh, number five, how about this? Sarah Palin. Sarah Palin. I, I think Sarah Palin is... I think she's doing great. I think if anyone is, I don't think there's anybody happier than Sarah Palin. And whether you like her or love her, she seems to be having a good time. So I'd say she's probably in excellent condition. All right. Well, Mr. Stebbin, I want to thank you very much for uh, sticking around playing our game and again talking about your article on hazards in the hospitals. Thank you very much for your time. It's great to be here. All right. Take care. All right. Well, you're just listening to Mr. Greg Stebbin talking about his article in Men's Health Magazine. This has been the Grok Science Show. We'll be back in a week with more from the world of science technology. If you'd like to contact us, scienceatgroks.net, the website www.groks.net. We're on Facebook and Twitter. Have a great evening. Stay tuned. Take care.